Well, to say that I'm excited and honored to be here today would be the understatement of the year. Yesterday, as I flew into Lexington and I was driving down Harrodsburg Road, which has widened quite a bit since I was here as a student, I felt like a kid on Christmas morning. This is just truly a special, special place to come back to and be. And, and so I'm truly so honored and grateful to be here. And I feel like I owe Asbury so much. I mean, I personally, as, as Steve said, I personally graduated from Asbury in 2007. My father-in-law is an Asbury grad. Both my wife and my oldest son were born here. Actually, Professor Martin actually delivered my first child. I'm just kidding, but that would be... <laughs> That would be awesome. Steve, I would have been honored if it was, <laughs> it was, he's like, I have no idea where this man's going. No, but seriously though, more importantly than anything else, the pastor that led me to Christ, the pastor that led a sophomore in high school who didn't want anything to do with church, God, everything else, uh, pastor led me to Jesus as an Asbury grad as well. So I, again, am truly honored and, and privileged to be here today. And today I'm going to share a little bit of my own story. I was asked to also share a bit of my church's story. Um, but more than anything, I hope through all of it, I hope the, the, the credit wouldn't go to me, the credit wouldn't go to the church, um, but instead I hope today we'd hear about Jesus and about his story, amen, because his story is a story that matters. And so I pray as I'm, as I'm sharing today that you wouldn't hear me or this church, you would hear about Jesus. Now, when I'm asked what I do for a living, my typical response is that I'm the last person who ever thought they'd be a pastor. I honestly don't even really answer their question. I start giving the explanation before I do. And I say this partly because I'm the last person who ever thought they'd be a Christian. But mostly it's because even after 10 years of being a pastor, I still don't feel like one. I mean, when I picture a pastor, I picture a person wearing a robe, someone who speaks using parables and fancy words. I, I picture a person who is the, the, the picture of, of peace and stillness and rest a person who moves throughout their day at a slow, steady pace, while me, on the other hand, I'm naturally antsy. Restless is more accurate. Like, I struggle to sit still for a minute or two. Uh, I'm, I'm the complete opposite of, of what you would picture. I'm always on the go. I pace around a lot in circles. As a kid, while traveling, less than an hour, mind you, often my parents would pull over to the side of the road so that I could run laps around the vehicle to burn off some energy. And I'm naturally antsy, and my dad, my dad is the same exact way. I mean, growing up, I don't know why I'm, I don't know why I'm emotional. Growing up, uh, it wasn't unusual for me to wake up on a Saturday and my dad was already on the roof. I mean, he was fixing something. Actually, I, I think sometimes he just went up there to be up on the roof, just doing something. But once again, once again, I'm just constantly going and I'm, I'm thinking and I'm moving about the next thing. I'm the exact opposite of a still and relaxed person. And because of this, most days I just do not feel like a pastor. And well, it's crazy because I, came, I became a pastor and I started a church called Embrace when I was 24 years old, which is completely insane on every level, especially with this 24-year-old. And honestly, I had no desire, like no intent, zero wanting to start a church, but there I was. I was available and supposedly God had a plan. And so it all started was because of a stinking Asbury grad. The same pastor who led me to Christ called me the summer before my third. I actually, kind of going into my, I finished in three years, but going into my last year, he called me that summer and he said, we're thinking about starting a church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. What do you think? And I said, well, I actually don't think Sioux Falls, South Dakota needs another church. I went to college there. I'm not really sure it needs another church. I'd say the same opposite, actually, mind you now. But I said, I don't think it needs another church. And 
I, who are you thinking about being the pastor if there was such a thing? And he said as nicely as he could. He didn't say this, but I'll translate it for him in, in English. He said, that's why I'm calling you, you idiot. You know, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I said, Roger, I'm not interested. Roger Spar, I'm not interested in being a pastor uh, of a new church. I, I don't feel called to lead a new church. And also, I hate South Dakota winters. And so Becky and I, we've discovered Kentucky winters, which doesn't exist. And this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. And so we, we don't, we, we're not interested. And he said, in response, what every pastor says to make a person feel guilty, he said, well, why don't you pray about it? I was like, oh, awesome. Okay, I never thought about the old prayer thing. Okay, that's a great idea that I'll never do. You know? So actually, I didn't pray. And well, a little later on, few months passed by Roger found out I was coming back to do a wedding I was actually doing my very first wedding it was my brother's wedding and he said hey here you coming back to Sioux Falls for the weekend and he said how about this how about you send an email and I'll send an email we'll see who shows up and might be interested in a new church and I thought this was great because no one in their right mind is going to show up this night it was four days in advance we had no planning no vision no idea of a church we just sent out these emails and well that night September 4th 2006 we had 32 people show up and um, I, I was depressed about it, and Roger was excited. I mean, I seriously, he was like, this is amazing. I was like, this is horrible. You guys weren't supposed to show up here, you know? And so uh, I should have put a PS, please don't come, because we don't want you to come. But afterwards, he said, this is wonderful. How about this, Adam? How about once a month, we fly you back to Kentucky. You can preach a message and do the service, and then that night or the next day, you can fly back. And so once a month, I did just that. I flew back to Sioux Falls in a busy schedule. My, my, I was taking a full load of classes. I, I would preach. I, and the next day or that night, I'd, I'd, I'd fly back to Kentucky. And each time that I did this trip, I thought it was completely crazy. Like, what are we doing? Starting a church with the pastor being a thousand miles away from the church, not to mention starting a church with a pastor who doesn't want to start a church in the first place. Well, in 2007, Beck and I moved back to Sioux Falls. By the sheer grace of God, I was appointed by the bishop to, to be a part of this new church that we had actually already started. But anyways, so we started with 32 people, right? We quickly grew to 100 people in worship, but that is the size that we would stay for the first three years. And this is the part of our story that most people have never heard. Um, three years in, we weren't growing, and three years in, Embrace was almost closed, we weren't financially self-sustaining. We weren't growing at all. I mean, zero. And did I mention that I did not want to start a church? This wasn't my idea. And I, I just have to say that these first three years were three of the hardest years of my life. I mean, for three years, I tried everything to grow the church, like everything, late nights, long hours, stepping out of my comfort zone multiple times every single day, using every opportunity to meet and invite someone to church, like every waking moment. I'm trying to think about how I can invite someone to church. We're called to reach people, to make disciples, all nations. This was to a negative degree. And I just knew that if we wanted to keep our doors open, that we had to grow. Well, the, the first three years, we met in another church's building. And that, that church worshiped in the morning on Sunday morning. And we'd worship on Sunday evenings. And so around noon each Sunday, we were allowed to put a large A-frame sign out to the edge of the road. The road was the busiest road in Sioux Falls. It's 41st Street, tons of traffic. They allowed us to put this sign out there that read Embrace Church on the side. And the sign was large and it was heavy. It took two, you know, big, hefty people to, to move it. And so we'd move it out and then we'd set up the inside of the church to make it feel more like Embrace. And then each Sunday evening we'd worship and then... After the service, when everyone left, the guests left, the volunteers and I would put everyone, all of Embrace's stuff, back into our small storage closet. And I had the best volunteers ever. 
But often, because everything else was inside, often we'd forget about the large A-frame sign that sat up beside the side of the road. And each time we did, I would try to find a friend or someone in the church to help move it back. But if I couldn't, I would have to move it on my own. So there's this large sign. You just get underneath it. You just carry it. And you look like, I don't know what it looks like. You just look crazy out there on the busiest street in Sioux Falls, you know, carrying this large sign. Well, there was one particular winter night that I won't ever forget. That Sunday, we had a large snowstorm come through, and even with a new foot of snow on the ground, we still had worship. In South Dakota, we are hardcore. We worship the Lord, you know? And so, uh, I mean, it can literally be 40 below zero, I kid you not, and we will still have church. And so we had a service that night, and then afterwards, we put everything away. We went home. I slowly drove back to the house, and I can remember getting all the way to my home before I realized the A-frame sign was still out by the road. And that night I was spent, it was late, but I needed to go back. And so I drove slowly back across town, I got out there, I crawled underneath the sign and I just began to lift it with my shoulders and I carried it as I walked through nearly two, three foot of snow on the ground and out of nowhere, it just hit me. I was, I was done. I was just, I was done. I was tired, I was broken. That night I, I hit my first breaking point. As I sat there, I didn't stand, I sat on the snow underneath the sign of the busiest stinking street in Sioux Falls. Words just came out of me. God, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? I mean, I'm, I'm tired. It wasn't my idea to start this stupid church in the first place. I didn't want to move back to South Dakota. No one in their right mind lives in South Dakota, you know. Puts itself through. We, when we first discovered Kentucky winters, honestly, I called my dad and I said, Dad, you can't believe the winters here. It's the greatest thing ever. I didn't want to be at this place. Again, so I'm sitting there like, God, seriously, what am I doing? And I just remember internally hearing, but Adam, you know this is exactly what I've called you to do. What am I doing here? You know, this is exactly where I want you to be. Again, for those first three years, they were the hardest three years of my life, but a few months later in September 2009, our church switched buildings, locations, and we were able to go to Sunday mornings. And that first Sunday, we thought that more people might come. I mean, just those first three years, I was just like, I think if we get to a Sunday morning, we'll grow. We, we, we thought more people might come that first Sunday, but we never expected what would happen because in one morning, in one day, three hours of time as a church, we doubled in size. We doubled in a single day, literally three hours. We couldn't believe it. Each week after, more people showed up, and then more showed up, and then more. And at first, it was surreal, and it was exciting. Honestly, it was awesome. It was awesome to see. After three years, it was finally working, whatever that means. The church was growing. People were coming. Lives were being changed. I mean, awesome things. Things that you only dream about in seminary were happening right before my eyes. But months, months passed, though, and we were still growing. And we'd become one of the fastest-growing churches in the country. Right now, we've been on the top 100 four years in a row, which is the weirdest thing to say, but it's true. That's God. It's not us. But it was so fast, though, we couldn't keep up. Specifically, I couldn't keep up. And so what did I do? I worked harder, and I worked longer. And I spent every waking moment trying to figure out how we could keep up with the steady stream of people that were coming in. And it seemed like everyone wanted to meet with me for coffee, and I couldn't keep up with the email. And I had wedding to perform every single weekend. One weekend I did three, three weddings in, in a weekend. I honestly didn't even know who I was marrying or what their names were. I just kept all my notes. It was just completely crazy. The church's phone number at this point, if you, if you called, 
embrace his number, uh, my, my pocket would start vibrating because it was my cell phone. All the while, I was trying to be a husband and I was trying to be a dad. Dropping balls all over the place. People were getting frustrated, but as a lifelong people pleaser, I couldn't say no. Like nothing felt worse than disappointing someone, right? And I was saying yes to everything and it was taking a toll on me quickly. And the church's rapid growth probably seems like the best case scenario. Everyone, everyone is patting me on the back and cheering me on. Man, the, even the denominations making me a poster child, you know, but the growth came with so many challenges as well. We needed more staff. We, we didn't know what we were doing. We, there were things we'd never encountered before. The level of external criticism increased as well. Like people I'd never met before, never met, were criticizing our growth. I was like, what? Like, why are they growing so fast? And they must be shallow, and they're probably all about numbers, right? I mean, first it was three years of struggling to grow, then overnight it became three years of struggling to keep up, and it was all too much. And did I mention, I'm not sure if I've said this yet, but I never wanted to start a church in the first place. You know? Well, one night at our leadership meeting, there was a group of us, 10 or so of us there, and these people had become my closest friends. I mean, I only pray for those of you who are going to be future pastors that you'd have a lead team like I have, people I loved and trusted. But before the meeting started, someone just asked me how I was doing, expecting that the answer would be wonderful. I mean, everything was going so great. They asked me how I was doing. Well, I didn't respond. Instead, I just started sobbing. Uncontrollably. Tears I had done such a good job covering up. Keeping myself just came out. After six years of running and running and running some more, I was burnt out and I was totally exhausted. Now, for me, again, I don't want the focus to be on me. This, after we worshiped today, I almost felt like trite getting up here and talking about this, but for me, the exhaustion came from six years of pastoring a church, but for others, it's caused by a difficult marriage and continuing to love someone who's hard to love, and maybe that's you. Just, you're loving someone. You're, my marriage is amazing. Yes, it's challenging, but I, I'm so grateful for my wife. Or maybe it's pastoring a child, or parenting a child, I should say, both, who seems to make every wrong turn in life, or it's trying to get a business off the ground, or it's trying to enjoy your single years while everyone around you is getting hooked up and getting married. Maybe he's trying to make it through seminary. Finals are getting close. Hey, man in the house. God, seriously. Uh, I'm not talking about having a busy week or even a busy season. I'm talking about burning the candle at both ends, complete and utter exhaustion. Now, here's the truth. At the time, I would have never considered myself to be a prideful person. I mean, most of my life, I struggled with insecurity. I still cannot believe I'm standing before you today in Estes Chapel. That's nuts. But in looking back, it's clear that I was prideful and fully self-sufficient. And it's strange because in ministry, in, in seminary, right here at Asbury, I heard all the stats on how many people would leave ministry after three years. Half of you in the room won't be a pastor in 10 years, right? Yada, yada, yada. It went in one ear, out the other. Why? Because I arrogantly thought that must happen to people who don't know how to work hard. Silently to myself, I thought that was for people who were soft. People who weren't called to be pastors is what I thought. People who didn't have a love and a solid walk with Jesus is what I thought. I thought it was for people who didn't read Celebration of Discipline in Martin's class. Like, they missed out on that. They didn't have the fruit. You know, they, don't, they just didn't know the disciplines. Like, if they, if they were connected to God and faithfully spending time with him, that wouldn't happen. I just thought, that's for somebody else, but it's not for me. I would be just fine. Well, without even knowing it, over those first six years as a pastor, whenever I faced an obstacle or whenever I encountered something that I didn't know how to do, I had solely relied upon myself. Like instead of asking for God's help, instead of reaching out to him, instead of realizing my utter and complete 
desperate need for Jesus. I put my head down and I worked harder and I convinced myself that I could figure it out and I foolishly believed that I could do it all on my own. And looking back, it's so clear, crystal clear, that I was pastoring and leading a church completely out of my own strength and abilities. And I pushed and pushed for years and as a result, my life, my words, my actions, my relationship, even my soul showed it. And I couldn't do it anymore. Now thankfully though, thankfully this is where Jesus comes in Anyone thankful for Jesus? And get this, in the Gospel of Matthew, we just heard it. Jesus invites us and he tells us, come to me, all you who are weary. More fully, the word weary can also translate as tired or better yet, exhausted. Jesus is speaking with a group of his followers that are gathered there and he says, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Well, come to me and you will find rest. And even more so, the very next verse, which doesn't get talked about very often, Jesus says, get this, And you will find rest for what? You will find rest for your souls. Our soul. The deepest part of who we are. It's what makes you, you, and it's what makes me, me. Jesus says, come to me. Just approach me. And you will find rest in this place in here. On your insides. Again, come to me and you will find rest. Now, these are classic verses from Jesus, right? And at the time, these were, these were words that I had preached on, words that I'm guessing have often been spoken here in Estes, verses that I could have easily recited. However, it was a reality that I did not know myself, a reality that I had not personally experienced in at least six years. And at my deepest point of exhaustion, I can actually remember telling my wife, not thinking about this verse, it's just what came out of me. I told my wife in the, my lowest point that it almost felt like I didn't have a soul anymore. It was, just, it was just gone. It was empty. Like I was just a shell of my former self. I was dead inside of here and at this place, this lowest place, I just began to long for rest. I just began to long for this supernatural rest that Jesus talked about. I longed for my soul to be renewed and I could so clearly see my utter and desperate need for Jesus and everything found in him. And so what did I do over the, the next few months that followed? I just began to ask God for his help. And I began going on walks at night at the end of the day just to connect with the Lord more fully. I mean, once Beck and the kids were sleeping, I headed out for 40 or so minutes and I walked on the sidewalks and I walked from one block to the next. And as I walked, I talked with God and I talked with him some more and some more and some more. I shared my heart with him and I began to ask for his rest. And my simple prayer during this season became, Lord, I need your help. Some days it was all I could get out of myself. Lord, I need your help. In the morning, Lord, I need your help. Multiple times every single day, Lord, I need your help. I whispered it to God the last thing I said before falling asleep at night, Lord, I need your help. And now here's the good news for all of us, more good news, especially in light of Easter. You see, thankfully, we have a God who specializes in what? We have a God who specializes in bringing dead things back to life. Bringing what was dead back to life bringing even a dead soul back to life. And over these months of praying, God just that, did just that. He just began to do it. He took my soul, my, my burnt out, exhausted soul, and slowly but surely he gave it rest. Breathed life into the core of who I am. I began to care again. I began to live again. And this promise in Matthew about finding rest was no longer just the basis of a great message that would draw thousands of people It was no longer just something I would quote as a pastor and share with others. Instead, it became a reality within the deepest part of me. 
within the deepest part of my soul. And during the season, one of the hardest things for me to realize was the simple fact that I'm not invincible. I mean, you used to see being a workaholic as a badge of honor, and sometimes I still believe it's my greatest trait. I can work nonstop like a dog, and I, it won't affect me, and yet it's clear I'm not a robot. Instead, I'm a human with a soul. I'm a person, and I'm a, I'm a pastor desperately in need of Jesus. And in case you forgot this, here's maybe the one thing that you needed to hear today. In case you forgot, you're a person too. Simple, right? You have a soul as well. You need rest. I mean, even Jesus took time to rest. Even he took time to be still, time to be alone and talk with God the Father. And after these six crazy years, I finally made some hard changes that were long overdue. Like at the church, we got a separate phone number. Hallelujah. I kid you not, I can remember exactly where I was when someone on staff came up to me and said, hey, Adam, we got a new cell number. We got a new phone number. I can remember it clear as day. I learned how to delegate. Instead of working harder, I worked smarter. Once I got home, I tried to put my phone away. I actually began to take days off. And just to be clear, these changes were extremely hard for me because I absolutely love what I do. My heart breaks and bleeds to tell people about Jesus, the greatest news that's ever been told. I want to spend the rest of my life telling everybody, as many people who will listen, about the hope and redemption and truth found in him. But a theme and a command, just to be really clear, that is found throughout the Bible is the importance of taking a Sabbath. This isn't a, this isn't a suggestion from God. Like It's not just, you know, you might want to consider this. No, instead, it's actually a top ten. It's a command from him. Taking Sabbath. This means taking a day to set aside work, a day to connect with God and others, a day to remind ourselves that God is God and we are not, a day to be renewed, doing whatever renews us. And in our 24-7 world, I might argue that Sabbath... And taking a Sabbath is one of the absolute hardest commands in the entire Bible to follow, especially for someone like myself who doesn't have an off switch. Now today, now that I'm on the other side of this complete exhaustion, I still find myself tempted weekly, sometimes daily, to do things on my own. I mean, I'm, I naturally want to put my head down and, and work harder, and I still think I can figure everything out on my own, and I, can, I try and try and try to push some more, and yet once I come to my senses today, I'm quick to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my pride. Forgive me of thinking that I'm invincible. Forgive me for ever thinking that I'm you. God, at times I'm an idiot. And so Jesus, would you just be with me? Would you renew me? Jesus, I'm an idiot desperately in need of you. But a year or so ago, just to wrap things up, I had a week in which my goal was just to make it through the week. I don't know if you've ever had a week like that. You look at your calendar as you're just like, my goal is survival, right? You ever been there? And so Monday came, and I jumped in headfirst, wading through emails, meetings, conversations, deadlines. And just a couple of hours into my week, and I was already tired, but I was too busy to breathe, right? Too busy to think straight. I was just way, way too busy to talk with God. And so I just kept going, and I told myself, you just need to make it through. Just keep going. Well, the rest of the week was no different. If you would have watched this, it was like watching a bad car accident. You're like, oh, my goodness, take your foot off the gas pedal, you idiot, you know? But Tuesday came and went, and then it was hump day. I was halfway there, and then Thursday came and went, and by Friday, I was a crazy man, stressed and exhausted, zero patience, and I came home that day only to be greeted by my four kids who were excited to see their dad. Yet what did I do? This is the truth. I said hello. I made it to my bedroom as quickly as I possibly could, 
closed the door and I was relieved that my, my kids couldn't get to me. Horrible but true. That night after everyone went asleep, I went on my walk. Even though the weekend had arrived, all I could think about was work. My mind was racing, just trying to remember, what did I forget? There was something. I emailed myself as I was walking. It's crazy. I made a phone call to a coworker, and I was still wound so tight. But I was even more, than, more tired than I was earlier in the day. I was walking on autopilot. It was like a zombie on the walking dead, you know. And, and yet blocks away from home, my, my, my body just stopped moving. In the middle of the sidewalk there, I froze. And I had come to the end of myself, and the words just finally came out from the depth of who I am. Lord, I need you. It's just, it's, I just need you again. And these were words that I should have uttered first thing that Monday morning when I was just trying to survive. Words that I could have spoken at any moment throughout the week, and yet it took me getting to the very end of my rope before I finally said them. And for all of us here today, myself included, I just want us to hear these words from Jesus once again. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, exhausted, and I'll, you will find rest. I'll give you rest. More good news, Jesus invites us daily. It's not a one-time invitation or a limited opportunity. Instead, the invitation is always there whenever we're tired, burnt out, whenever we're exhausted. Better yet, even when we're not, even before we get there, Jesus, he always invites us, come and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we... We come before you today, just needy and desperate for you. Just so desperate for you, Father. Like a kid, like a clueless kid who doesn't know up from down. We just come before you so needy for you. God, we start off by saying, would you just forgive us? Forgive us for our mistakes. Forgive us for trying to replace you with ourselves. God, would you, would you forgive us? But Lord, more than ever, we just, we just need you. And apart from, we, apart from you, we can do nothing, God. Apart from you, no good can happen in and through our lives. No good can happen within us. And in light of Easter, in light of an empty tomb, we come and we're just so thankful that you're a God who specializes in bringing dead things back to life. And so today, whatever's dead in our lives, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's our marriage, maybe it's our passion for school. We're beginning to wonder why we're, why we're even here. Our passion for following you, maybe our reason to live each day, maybe... Whatever it might be, maybe it's just we're just burnt out, we're exhausted, God. Would you today supernaturally take whatever's dead and bring it back to life? And God, we're just so grateful that the invitation is always there. We're so grateful that wherever we are, you offer the invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary, and you will find rest. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.